to another episode of Much Language Such Talk. Today, you're joined by me, Kareen, and my wonderful and amazing co-host, Marielle. Hi, Marielle. How are you? I'm back. Hello. It's been a while. Yeah. So I know you've been really busy with your PhD, so it's going to be a nice little break from things, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Very excited for this chat. I think um, this conversation that we're going to be having today actually holds very near and dear to both mine and Marielle's hearts. Um, we are both children of immigrants who grew up in the States who didn't really grow, grow up with the languages our parents speak. Um, so we, if we get a little emotional, please oh, no. <laughs> understand. It hopefully won't be too bad because we're talking about really nice things. So today we're joined by Dr. Isabel Wacht. A consultant in languages, plurilingual education, and intercultural communication who is originally from France. Isabel conducts research on family language policies, in particular how they affect families with mixed cultural backgrounds and migrant families. In addition to her research, she founded the Multilingual Cafe in 2010 to help families and professionals on their plurilingual and multicultural paths. With her research and policy experience, Isabel is part of Planting Languages, a European Erasmus Plus project involving five language policy organizations, FOIA Association, Association for Promotion of Polish Language Abroad, Multilingual Café, Stitching on the Vesevis, and the University of Central Lancashire Cyprus, which focus on sustaining multilingual families and professionals by developing a family language policy in order to ensure optimal language development and well-being. They have created several tools available in Dutch, English, French, Greek, and Polish to support and inform parents, primary caregivers, and language professionals to stimulate language development from early childhood by creating communication opportunities and stimulating the child's appetite for learning languages. Hi, Isabel. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Karen. Very delighted to be there. This is, I'm really excited for this. We had the chance to meet briefly before this, and we, I think for a good like half an hour, 40 minutes, we're just going on <laughs> tangents about all of our opinions yeah. about language teaching and things like that. It was fun. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great meeting. Yes. It was a lot Brilliant. of fun. Yeah. So, Isabel, how did you become interested in languages? Uh, I think I've always been interested in languages. I was born in the north of France. Uh, no, I was born in the east of France and then moved to the north of France to the Belgian border. And uh, it was the Flemish part of Belgium. So we were moving between France and Belgium all the time. And then I had family in the Netherlands. So we were going to the Netherlands. So that was great. And then at school, enjoyed it immensely. Even I can, I can still think about the, my first teacher, my first class in English, when the teacher said, tell me three, 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 three for 10 minutes. And oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> And it did not discourage me. I really enjoyed it. So language is part of my life always. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So are your parents French as well? Or did your family, like, how did they all end up in Belgium and the Netherlands? Uh, no, it's just like, it's just family. It's just, you know, just like my family name, Bart, is German. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we, we were coming from the uh, Alsace-Lorraine. So family was divided between Germany and France after the war. So that's oh. a long story. Oh, and okay. then my own parents moved moved in France to the, to the north of France, beside the Belgian border, so we could cross it with just on the bicycle, oh. go to Belgium and back, <laughs> or walk through the border. So that was great fun. And then some of my family moved to Amsterdam, so we were visiting them. So, but I was born in a French family, speaking French all the time, because the German part of the family was in Germany, and I've never met them. Unfortunate, but that that was after the war. Did you pick up Dutch and um, Flemish then? Yeah, I've been learning German, French. Oh, obviously French. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dutch, Dutch and German, yes. 
then when you got into like high school and then into university, what did you study then? So I wanted to do catering. And then, then for some reason, my father said, oh, you should do something else. And anyway, I ended up doing uh, languages and mm. I'm still there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Then how did you end up in language policy then? Uh, it was from one step to another, you know, just like uh, I've been doing my studies and did um, uh, translation. I have a master in translation as well. So I did do, do all those things. And then eventually, or whatever, life brought me to marry a foreigner. <laughs> and then I, I was like, a, how, how am I going to bring up my children with uh, two languages in, a, in an English speaking country? Because you're living in Ireland now, right? Exactly. Yeah. And when the, I was told that English is enough to go around the world, you don't need to speak French to your children. It's going to be a bother to them, blah, 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 and so on. So I said, no, that's not true. And I want them to, I want them to be discussing with my family and I know their grandparents. And when they were small, I was saying, do you want to play with your cousins or do you want a translator between you and your cousins? No, no, Ooh. we don't want you to play with us. <laughs> That's, that's actually really interesting. It was, um, my cousins on both sides could speak English. Um, but yeah, my aunts and uncles on my dad's side, they don't speak English. So I always had to like, well, I could, I, my Hebrew isn't great, but I, so like always kind of had to have someone with me at all times. And it sucks, honestly. What if I want to have a private conversation? My dad has to be there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so that, that was fun. I had to, I had to fight a bit more with school because, you know, obviously, uh, the school was saying, Oh, he's not going to do well and so on and so on. So, and then having done languages, it was easy to, I went back into studying when I was a bit older than I used to be. <laughs> That's how time works. It was, and I did a master in um, in languages called French in French diffusion des langues, which is politics of languages, blah blah blah, lots of things, and did started researches on uh, plurilingual education. That's about it. That's that's about <laughs> it. No, that's amazing, honestly. That's quite a range of things. Wow, um, quite a journey. Uh, actually, I have a follow up question on that. Um, how did you sort of like? Did you end up convincing the school? you know, of your, of your point of view, did they eventually like agree with you or anything? No, the school never agreed with me, uh, but I never let them be right, if I can say so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, because, uh, you know, they were, they were kind of, um, uh, I put my children for some reason, I just, I put them in a Protestant school because in Ireland you have a choice between Catholic schools or Protestant schools and the Catholic schools, there's only boys or only girls and the Protestant, they have a mixed boys and girls, so I wanted them to be in a mixed school, nothing to do with religion. Anyway, and then one of my child had a trouble with uh, his jaws, and it was going to be repaired by the orthodontics. So I could not do, no, that was not major, you know, oh, that, okay. was not, that was not big trouble, but as long as the orthodontic was not doing anything, the pronunciation, whether in French or in English or whatever language, was not going to be correct. But obviously it was because of French. Not because of English. Mm, yeah, mm. obviously French was the problem there. Mm. Yeah, it was. So then, then the teacher wanted me to go to go and see a, a speech therapist, which I did, which was getting to stress. And then the speech therapist said, there's no problem on my side. Ah. <laughs> you know, what he knows in English is fine. I can't do the, what the dentist is not doing mm. now, so just wait. But the school could not wait. So they put him to a resource teacher. And then he was coming back and he said to me, you know what? The resource teacher took me out of the class during the math class and she was doing computer games, which I have at home. Uh, I said, oh, that's fine. That's very interesting. So anyway, so I had to go back to the resource teacher saying, if it's that, take him out of the class during religion class. 
out of nothing against religion, because otherwise he would have to to catch up with the mathematics, which is double work, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that was going on and on and just. I find that really interesting that there's internationally that issue in schools that they take kids out of classes and it's just like if his language was a pe- like developing fine all you're doing is yeah as you were saying it's extra work for math now why do we do this yeah at, this, at the same time you know uh, my not being Irish makes it more difficult so sometimes the teacher were not one not one of the one person was saying to my husband your wife doesn't speak English properly so he was coming in the back and he was sitting in the back of the of the class oh my god so when the teacher was saying that's not you know that's not what I was saying. He was there behind saying, that's exactly what Isabel has been saying. So that was, and we are in Europe, you know, we are not in kind of a country where things should be, uh, should be yeah. different. So, so he was there in the back saying nothing because he said, he said to me, you know what you're doing and you know, you know, mm-hmm. but Jack, if the teacher was contradicting me, he was kind of jumping on the conversation. Mm-hmm. Just all that. And it's just like, it was a kind of a nightmare for my child, but all the children in the school who had Danish mother or Russian mother or whatever, they were put in the same situation. My son was lucky because I was fighting for him. The other yeah. ones, unfortunately, they didn't have parents who could do that. But not right now, you know, I can tell you, he got he got his bachelor with first class honors. Oh, wow. Well done. And, you know, with language and everything. So... Being multilingual, you know, helps you to develop lots of things. But why should putting trouble and, you know, pressure on the child when there's no need? Exactly. Absolutely. 100%. So that's why that's why I had to fight for multilingual education. I could not let other children have the same kind of uh, no support. I'm really surprised, though, that Ireland would have that because, you know, I know that there's a push for people to learn Irish now. And so it's just kind of like... It, it, I don't. I don't mean. I don't get it. <laughs> no, but I, um, I think it's nice to learn Irish. But you, when you learn the language, you have to learn it in a lively way, not yeah. like a mm. dead language. And yeah. you know, you don't learn tables and all that. You know. Oh, I love conjugation tables. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so you got. You know, if you ask a child who is young just to learn words and to sing, but if you ask him just like do as if you are going to the post office and buy stamps, that's fun. Then you learn the language. Yeah. So that's what's happening. That's the trouble they have. This it's they're making like a dead language. Mm. I think a lot of language classes do that though, which is really frustrating. Yeah, you know, like honestly, I can literally think back to the first time I had to see like past tense whatever in Spanish, and I was just like, okay, let me just write this word over and over again now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. It's not fun, but there's a it's it's also a training of the teachers, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and if yeah. they want. I can't say that I'm a trained teacher, so I have no trouble criticizing them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't, don't just get out of your books. Yeah. Make it fun. That, yes, 100%. I agree. Yeah. Um, if it's all right, uh, if we could move on to that next question, let's talk about planting languages. Because we, oh, we, yeah. we have so much to cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we could talk about everything else for ages as well. Yeah, yeah. truly. And I think, I feel like a lot of this stuff is going to come up later in the conversation anyway. So yeah, let's let's talk about planting languages. Um, how did the project begin, and who's involved in it? What's it all about? So planting languages is just like it's a project with between five partners. Uh, one is Foyer in Belgium, and it's an organization. It's a big, huge organization for um, 
migrant people and just people of different origins. And there's loads of uh, speech therapists working in there, but they're also cultural and all that. So that's a big, huge organization. They are the initiator of the project, and so they're the coordinator. So it's coordinated by this uh, Belgium association. Then there's uh, another association, Anderves Advies, from the Netherlands. They are also specialized in a speech therapy, like foyer. And in the Netherlands, there's loads of foreigners. So they meet loads of children speaking other languages than Dutch at, at home. And uh, the family wanted their children to learn Dutch because they are in the Dutch-speaking country. Mm-hmm. So that's two experts in speech therapy, logopody, whatever word you want to use. Then there's two associations. There's uh, APLA the Association for the Promotion of the Polish Language Abroad, who they are set up in uh, Edinburgh, not very far from where you are sitting there. <laughs> and uh, it, it began just like, you know, when all the Polish started to move outside of Poland, when they opened to the EU and move around, and then the Polish didn't know what to do with their languages. And so they started that. There's us, Multilingual Café, who is an associ- a non-profit association, and the University of Central Lancashire, in Cyprus. So there's four, five different countries. And it's, it all started in uh, 2020, in fact, which is that I was, I was going to a conference uh, in Belgium organized by Foyer to a conference called Cells at Home, where I was talking about my research and what I was doing with the families and uh, how they are managing. And then the... Um, It's, it is really amazing to hear a story like that where you have just like one idea and then it actually gets done. You have people who are invested. You have people who are, you know, willing to put in the time and the resources for all of this. And uh, speaking, speaking of that, so you yourselves have created tools and resources for parents and professionals. So what was the sort of decision-making process on, on what went into that? What to include, the tone, the sources? How did you come up with all this stuff? So we have created um, five, six, six main tools, which are in the, which can be found on the, on the, uh, on the website, and which are all freely available for everybody to use. And I will explain to you. Um, we created first a booklet for the families, okay? And the booklet is created. Uh, there's a kind of an eight step in that booklet. It's just like it's the process of how to create um, a family language policy, how you're going to organize the languages around in your family. And it's to help the the families when the children are still young, you know, not that when they are, when they can speak and then, oh, I should have done it before, you know. (laughs) So, so you, you can do it like, you know, like uh, you have a kind of a course before you get married to think about everything. Not everybody goes on a course before (laughs) you get married, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, a kind of a course to just to, to know how you be managing all those languages, because it's very important. Sometimes parents they don't think about it. And it's once the child is there that oh, all of a sudden they realize they wanted it to do it, but they never discuss. And that would avoid like kind of a disagreement to be nice. It's a, it's a hard conversation. I think as you're saying, especially once you move abroad and you don't have that support community, especially 
um you may not even think about it until suddenly the kids are there and you're like oh oh uh, who do we what do we do and then you ask you know your doctors and your teachers and then they tell you one thing when that's not necessarily the best thing yeah no, it's not. So, so, so this booklet is in eight steps, and the, the five first steps is just like for you yourself to reflect on what you think about your languages, the feelings you have, the emotion that is giving to you. Because some people want to put languages away because of the war history or whatever they've been going through, or just like you know, grandfather or, or grandparents or whatever has been happening, so they don't want to hear about it. Some of the family never heard about it, but they want to revive it in their language, their family. So it's just like a time for reflecting. And then the, the, the last three steps is just for a common decision of the parents together to what they are going to do. And knowing that things can change as the child will, will grow. So the, the last things, the last page is just don't forget your child is going to grow. Your child is going to meet other children. Your child is going to go to school and you are going to meet adversity. So be prepared, <laughs> you know. So and it, it's it's uh, it's easily it's in five it's in five languages and it's an easy language. So because we were just looking to to talk for two families of lower socioeconomical status, we're not just kind of using high language or academic language. We just put it in a in a language that everybody can understand and for everybody to be to have it and it's free online and you can fill it in online as well. To create the to create those these booklets, you said no, we have been asked we have been interviewing families, asking them what they miss in their way of having bilingual children. We just interviewed, I don't know, uh, twenty families each partner, so that's a, a good like uh, uh, um, yeah, hundred yeah, about about like that, you know, about hundred families and just to know what they have been missing, what they would have liked to have uh, what's happening in their surroundings. So with all the information we got from them, we were able to create kind of a booklet saying, oh, that's coming back again and again. That's what family would have liked to have. So it was it has been created with loads of research beforehand and not just like, oh, that's the way it should be. Yeah, I really like how you, it's not just looked at what is the research that's come out. You've actually asked the families and researched what they want. I really like this self-reflection that you have in here. I think it's really nice. Like, what are the, your expectations? What are you interested in? And like keeping them a part of it instead of kind of having this, like, I don't know, clinical version of a language policy where it's like, teach children language, end of sentence. And you're like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. I, that's really nice. I really like that. Yeah, it really speaks to sort of like the, the like the value that you place on families in this, like that you are respecting the values that they have and whatever challenges that they're having and making sure that their input is valued, for lack of a better yeah. word, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just like what they wanted and what they and also what they would have liked to have, which never which they never had, which was also very important for us. So we can just put it in the in the booklet. So that was uh, that was, and also the fact that we uh, we went to all type of people. You know, we went to migrants, we went to refugees, we went to mixed families, all type of different families, so we could gather loads of different and collect loads of different information, which was very important and not created for the top. I know what I know, and I'm giving to you. No, you give me, you tell me what you need, and we'll try to create something which is going to be as useful for as many people as possible. So with those interviews, we created the, that booklet. We've used part of the video of the interviews to create videos so families can just listen to them, to those videos to know what's, what's happening and just they can relate to, oh, that's happening in my family as well. Oh, that's interesting. You know, those type of interaction between the two. 
we created family a small poster of family portrait, which is like when, you know, with a top of, you know, like a topic like vocabulary. And parents are always wondering, oh, my child doesn't know as many words. Oh, my child. But like, you know, explaining how a, a bilingual child or multilingual child or plurilingual child is developing his or her vocabulary in a different manner than a monolingual child. Uh, and then we create this uh, having speech therapist specializing plurilingualism. We had uh, a small kind of a form to remind parents how to go step by step and not all of a sudden. A child is not going to happen to do everything all of a sudden. If they could, that would be amazing. Imagine you go home and you're like, okay, we're going to do this now. Okay, good. We'll never talk about it again. <laughs> and then, and then we, we had a small card for the child just to put in his pocket to say, look, I speak other language, so he can show the card to his friends and to the teacher's school and everything. I so we didn't. <laughs> so we didn't forget the child either, you know, saying, "Just look, look, I, I can speak the school language, but I also speak that at one, at home, and I speak that language with my grandfather, and I speak that language with my uncle, and that's the way I am." So it's very important for everybody to do that. And the booklet is on. You can download it, and you can keep it. Um, in uh, on the internet or on your phone so you can even travel with it to show to everybody what you are doing at home and it's important for people to and we keep telling the families just to show and tell everybody mm -hmm. that's what we are doing I was just wondering, um, you had mentioned specifically at the beginning about um, it's important for specifically for parents that have young children. What do you, what is the age group there? Because I'm just thinking about my own family like my cousin's kid is four I think could I send it to him? Yeah, yeah, it's just like young children from birth or even before birth, you know, like what I was saying, kind of a course before the child is born or up to five, you know, something like that. Because uh, anyway, it's never too late, but it's, uh, the, the earlier you do it, just the better yeah. your success. But it's absolutely never too late. You can become bilingual at any age. The only difference is just like it's natural or it's a bit less natural, you know, but makes no odds. But as long as makes no odds, uh, just, uh, yeah, five, six, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, and we created also um, a manual for the professional and the experts to explain to them how to use the booklet with the family, because we think that it's nice for the family to fill in the booklet on its own, on their own, you know, the students. But if they have somebody to whom they can ask questions and interfere, so the manual is explaining how we have been processing to create it and also what type of uh, way it should be used and reflection and loads of resources for the professional, you know, to look at, you know, so they can it's not just us talking, but everybody, the community around, which is where they can find the, uh, the information. And uh, on the website, you find also the newsletters, the article we wrote, and loads of other things. So, that was a great job. Honestly, I wish I had all of this. I, I wish I was like, I could go back and just be like, look at the things. Oh, that's so nice. Speaking of the community specifically, um, it, onto your website, you have this quote, uh, which is multilingualism and raising children is generally seen as the responsibility and a commitment for each family individual. However, each individual linguistic context is becoming increasingly complex for parents and children. Um, so, we're, you know, while well, yes, we're talking about the individual, obviously an individual is part of a community. So what makes this, you know, context more complex? What are the reasons that... Like overall, how do, why do we need this? I guess is the best way to say that, even though we've kind of answered that question. 
how do why do we need this? It's complex in the in the fact that very often this you have two languages in the family. You can have a mixed family with a mother language, a father language, and then they move another country, and then there's a school language. So there's three languages. How can you manage all those languages together? Uh, and more and more family have two or three languages because the father had two, the mother had one, and they want to give the three. And they so it's how I'm not going to say to mix up the languages, but how to make them be there in the family life and also to get organized without stress. <laughs> without stress, what a concept. Oh. Yeah. You know, that's that's what is important. And just like, you know, uh, what we were keeping saying is just like parents are not teacher, you know? Mm, yes. So they do not teach the languages to their children. They pass them on. Like in a monolingual family, the parents are passing the language. You were not sitting with your parents saying, I'm going to teach you my language this morning, you know? <laughs> They pass it on naturally. So the idea of the booklet is is to give ID to the parents and just like to, to get them prepared to pass those languages, to pass them on, not to teach them to the children. Home is not a school. It is not. Yeah. I, I keep imagining just like me and Kareem, like dragging our parents to the dining table, like <laughs> conjugating verbs in our respective languages. Oh, finish <laughs> like, us so yeah. many cases. I'd be like, okay, mom, today we're going to count on cases one through six. Yeah. Uh, calling back to like the experience back home because like my my parents speak uh i think they speak five languages collectively between the two of them you know between that like how do you make an informed decision on what languages are are you know important especially in like a complex situation like that and like unfortunately their decision was ultimately scrap all of them except english um because of the the complex situation they were in so like i really i really respect the amount of um weight that goes into considering the family, the the professionals and the teachers and the parents, not all as teachers, but as people who are contributing to this language information, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah and just uh, the, par the parents are educators. They they are not teachers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, there's a big difference between a teacher when you have to give rules and just get a frame. A frame. When the, if parents, you cannot just like get gets annoyed with a with a son because he doesn't put the verb at the right place in the sentence. Exactly, yeah. You know? Marielle and I have also talked about this since we both worked as English teachers in Japan. Just being a native speaker of a language is, doesn't qualify you to be a teacher in that language. It does not. Yeah. And a lot of people <laughs> think it does. And no, like the first time someone was just like, yeah, so what's like the past perfect of this? I'm like, I don't, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. So like, how am I supposed to teach you that? Like no one ever taught me how to teach that. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's not. It's not. So, so just like the 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 reflection process that we have decided to do, just like to let the parents just try to reflect themselves of how they can do the. Like for example, I know a family who has. I I just give a story. I had no family who has three languages, and they wanted the the children to have the three of them. So how, the mother had two, the father had one. So how were they going to manage? But that was very simple. The mother was speaking one language for two weeks. After two weeks, she was speaking pancakes, and this means for the children she was changing languages. And the, and the other one, and the other one was the same all the time. Look, they were living in France, so they had they had English, English, Spanish, and French. So she was speaking Spanish for two weeks, French in the country and at school. She was making pancakes, and it means they were going to French. And then two weeks after, she was making pancakes, means they're going back to Spanish. So I love that. That was a kind of a that was kind of a clue for the children to know that. They were going to change languages. She, although she said it took, it always take a day or a day and a half to 
adapt to that. But then now the, the languages are, they have three languages. They don't even think about it. You know, they are, they are bigger now and that's, that was fine. So, but that's, you need somebody to be there with the family to give them those little tricks to be able to manage all the languages. I won't tell you all the story I've heard because uh, it took too long. But, uh, no, that, that's <laughs> great. I actually, I love that we, the, the parents have basically put some psychology into this with this, it's called yeah. priming. They was just like, okay, pancakes, <laughs> figure out what language it is. That's, that's really great. That You also mentioned the whole thing of how it takes like a day, day and a half to kind of switch. And yeah, there's um, this whole thing with language dominance, the language that's more dominant, um, it sometimes it can be harder to suppress it to be able to bring on to the, the weaker language and that period of time. But yeah, as you were saying, once you get strength enough in all of them, then you can just go nuts, basically. Yeah, once you, once you have put the kind of a routine in your family, it's just like children, they like routine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's more difficult for the parents at the beginning to seek about the routine. But once the routine is there, you know. It's easy. It's like have a timetable in front of yourself and just put it on. Just make pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've kind of moved on to food and I'm starting to get a real craving for pancakes. Um, <laughs> actually, um, so you mentioned that one of the partners in Planting Languages is Multilingual Cafe. And that's what you're a part of, Isabel. So um, if you could tell us more about Multilingual Cafe and what that's all about as I sit here and drool about breakfast food. <laughs> so multilingual cafe it's just like it's a non-profit organization we work for the advent advancement and the promotion of multilingualism so it started in uh, in ireland which is like we were meeting i was meeting families around a coffee in fact in a coffee shop to talk about what they can do to help their children to have the, those languages because there was obviously a uh, family it's our grandparents saying uh, how can your child understand me when i'm talking to him in english when you spoke polish at home and I, and they were saying, what, what will I say to my father-in-law? Because I don't, don't know what to tell him. And I was saying to tell him, just ask your child whether, ask him whether, when he asks you, is the grandchild to do something? Does the grandchild do it? And in fact, it does. So the grandchild understands. So it was the same. It was the same experience. It's like at school, they were saying, can they understand? And I was saying, if you ask the child to color in green, is he coloring in, in, in red? And the teacher was saying, no. So where is the problem? So uh, so Multilingual Cafe, just to go back to the question, is a French-based organization with an address in the north of France at the Belgian border. I like Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just like we advise family, we train teachers, educators, um, carers, um, anybody who is working with uh, children speaking more than one language is at home. And uh, we're also involved in research, me. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the, 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 the greatest thing is that we have been starting to open branches in different uh, cities in France and we'll open one next year in, uh, in the United States. Ooh. Oh, where? Where? <laughs> uh, yeah, should I say it? I mean, if you I, want to. Yeah, if you're allowed to. I can, I can, I'll be very vague. I'll say Michigan. So that's oh. big enough. <laughs> Interesting. Michigan. Ooh. I was going to say the panhandle, but no, that's... Florida, isn't it? That's Florida. It's a, it's a little mitten. It's, it's a little mitten. Yeah. yeah, it's a mitten shape. So we have branches, and just like we have other people just who have an interest in opening branches, they're more than open uh, because uh, it means we have, we can spread the uh, the work we are doing uh, all over. What kind of um, events and things do does Multilingual Cafe put on, and like how often do they meet? Uh, it's it just like just like can I say the main branch now because I don't like that, but. I have no choice. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we just like we do conferences, talk, research, um, go meet, uh, do counseling, meet families, um, whatever, you know, loads, everything that most of people would be looking for. And also training, you know, we offer trainings uh, online and, and in physically, you know, face to face uh, training mm -hmm. for teachers and all that. Oh, and, wow. and locally, the branches, they, uh, they can do. Can I say they can do what they want as long as they do the same thing than us? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, I get that. They have autonomy. They, 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 yeah, they're autonomous. I'm, I'm not, I'm, we're not, we don't have the time just to check what they're doing, but they have to respect the, the main line of multilingual cafe. And we have, but like we have a very active one in, uh, in Toulon, south of France. So we are just Belgian border, they are Spanish border. <laughs> we like our borders. <laughs> the borders, that's where, that's where the languaging happens. That's where the, you know, all that makes, and that's important. Yeah. And they, they are very active mm -hmm. and all that, you know, families and all those. And so it's like, we, we are looking for, we'd be having others in other cities in France. So we're just like very happy. And we, the only thing is just like, we are not in capital cities. We are outside of the capital city uh, because uh, people speaking other languages are not going just to big cities they also go to small villages and small towns and that's where we want to reach them which is very important yes that is great and those those family because that can i tell another story yes of course <laughs> we we met uh we met um a, a family the father the father is spanish the mother is finnish and they, they live in austria so that's a, a, that's fun <laughs> uh, why not <laughs> Yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> why not? And uh, they live in a small town in Austria, not a big town, not the capital city. And the mother was saying, just like, no, if I don't speak us, uh, uh, I was going to speak, say, Austrian. If I don't speak German <laughs> to my children, people are looking at me because I speak Finnish and the Finnish is kind of a different type of language. Mm -hmm. uh, people would not know what it is. They would guess for Spanish, but not Finnish. And he said, I have nothing here in my small town to help me with the finish with my children. And I'm very happy to have found Multilingual Cafe because they helped me uh, to uh, to try to find what is needed. And they said, and also to push me, not given Finnish and Spanish when living in Austria. If um, they're close to Linz, let me know. That's where my cousin lives. They're Finnish, um, though his wife is Austrian. So at least you get a little bit of that in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they live at the Italian border. Oh, I like borders. Yeah, <laughs> you truly do. Yeah, Finnish is definitely one of those languages that when you come across it, first of all, I think one of my favorite stories. This is a little bit off topic, but um, I one of my cousins was visiting me in the states, and we decided to go see a movie. I think it was like a rated R movie or PG thirteen. Me and my sibling were so, kind of young, and so the person at the ticket counter asked for my cousin's ID, and so Leo handed them his driver's license, and she looked at it, and then looked at him, and was like. Finland, is it? Is that a real place? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, yes. oh no, yeah, Finnish. Yeah, it's a, a small country. There's five, uh, five million, five and a half million people, and it's one of the few language families that is quite isolated from the rest of Europe. So to have that resource, just to like be able to make the decisions that, like, well, I'm not going to speak German to my kid because this is a huge part of my culture, and there aren't that many people around. So you need that opportunity to speak that language to those kids and then not have people wonder if I, a lot of people also ask me if Finland's part of Europe that get out, gets asked quite a bit as well <laughs> uh, so it's not just America that makes that mistake <laughs> no not necessarily America mm -hmm. no. yeah. because because I have a son who is in Kosovo right now and every time he says in Ireland they put him in Iceland 
Mm. Yeah. That's a little, That's a little different. bit different. Yeah. So anyway, but you know, it's just like, it's it kind of a, you know, they don't always, we don't always learn geography at school, which is, mm-hmm. you know, as important as languages to know that it's part of the culture. And yeah. if you have a bit more about geography, you know that those people are speaking another language and they cook a different way and they eat a different way. Some people are eating with their fingers and some people have knife and forks and some people have sticks and who cares? Yeah. I was actually going to ask because um, we were talking about, you know, the language complexity of the fact of like languages might not be similar. They might be similar, but also the, the cultural aspect in there. Do you have questions in the toolkit that specifically you know, emphasize the fact that your language isn't just a language. It's a living thing as well. It's part of who you are. Yeah, it's, 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 in, it's included in the booklet, you know, just like, it's just like it's important for the parents to give their language, but also what is behind the language and the culture that they're growing it with. And it's very emotional. It's part of the emotion and of what you have. And we have, a, we have an article on the, on the website about the emotions linked to the languages, you know, and it's very important as you know, just like very simple things, just for the parents who talk with their children in things which are very important for them. Um, and just like mother with girl, with whatever, just growing as a girl, which is changing in her physical life. And if a mother has to do it in a language that she doesn't master, it's way more difficult. And she, she it's, and then there's a, there's, they cannot, you know, the relationship with the daughter. It's not that it's not going to be there, but cannot be the same because she cannot explain everything the way she would like to do it because she doesn't have the word in the other language. And, you know, it's... Yeah, that is... (laughs) Because, okay, so... um, Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) My mother, my mother, um, was she she was a doctor in the Philippines, right? Before she moved to um, the United States when she was about my age. She was about 30. Um, Her native language um, is called Pangasinan. It's a regional language in the Philippines. So she had three languages under her belt, also learning English when she moved over. And I mean, obviously she's amazing at all of these languages, but when it came to raising me, she just shoved a medical dictionary in my face and an encyclopedia. And that's how I learned to become a woman. You know, like that's, that's it. Like that, that I mean, like, obviously there was a lot more into that, but I, I clearly remember like reading from a medical dictionary, reading about the like, in this reading about all this stuff in this really clinical way you know there's nothing like puberty and like you know a dressing gown yeah. from the doctor's office and you're like cool thanks right exactly it felt wow. like that but with my mom and I, I like i appreciate her for that but of yes. course like there's a lack of this like you know the effective and the emotional nature of all that stuff not that she wasn't an emotional person but that obviously it's going to be harder for her to connect to me in that way yeah you yeah. know yeah yeah and that's that's what's creating problems you know in some in some region of the world or even in France when just like you know people arriving in France after the war are just like and they were not they were told not to speak arabic and then the the, the mother was there she she was at home so she could not go she was not going outside to try to learn french and the children they were told not to speak arabic at home so the the children the parents could not connect with their children and that's the, so upsetting it it is very important to uh, emotion is really bad and that's why it's very important to to try and to think about it beforehand because once when you arrive at one stage and then you cannot explain what's happening or even for the death of somebody when there's different culture i know they are not the nice way of you know but there's a culture there Mm. which is important to pass it on and um 
and so languages and emotions they are very much linked so that's why that's what is it also explained in the booklet so i forgot the question Oh, no, the, I mean, no, this is beautiful, honestly. In the grand I'm... scheme of things, the question truly does not matter. What matters is the conversation that we're having and that, you know, this conversation yeah. will be given to, to other people, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you kind of answered the, the next question already, which is what, what's some of the feedback you've gotten? So, yeah, yeah, we got, we got, we got great feedback because the parents were just like, they were very able because they were very happy because with that booklet, they could sit and reflect and think and just and uh, they could they have the information which allows them to sit down reflect and just say what this means for me what do i want you know and if they do it with a professional or an expert they can ask questions which is going to give them more um more help and uh, and sometimes they discover that the language is important for them and why it is important for them they discover that it's linked to what they want to do and just that the way, just the way you want to dress up the table, you know, where you want to put your plate, it's very, it's just as simple as that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And the way you want to cook, to cook, and want to, what you want to give to your children, and why, why just like in France we have a goûter, and why not having it in Ireland when they don't have it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the fork of snack is very important in France, and just, like, <laughs> but doesn't exist here. And in Ireland they like their steak at five o'clock in the afternoon when we want. Uh, chocolate and bread so you know it's it's culture but you have mm-hmm. to to talk about that just to so there's no kind of a disagreement about things which are important and not important at the same time why yeah. fighting about a steak or a piece of chocolate when it, that's not major but if you talk about it beforehand you can go you can overcome that uh, that thing so so that's that's and sometimes you know it's allowed for the the partners to understand the meaning of the languages for their partners to know why it is important and why they want to do that. So it's part, it's all part of the emotions and the um, what it means for you. I really love the the dinner metaphor because mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of it. It's just like and it's also about open communication. It's that whole thing of ensuring that you talk about it so you don't have issues. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get through everything in one conversation. No. If we could. Mm-hmm world peace would have happened by now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like in my house, I am like, I'm first generation American. My partner is very American, like stereotypically, like, you know, you can be like, oh, well, I'm 10% from this country, 10% from this country, that kind of thing. And then our flatmate is German. And so we've got quite a range of cultural backgrounds at home. And it's really interesting when it comes down to like, when do you eat your bread? What kind of bread do you eat? Um, What time do you eat? Because in my house, we ate dinner. What I thought was a normal time at like eight o'clock and everyone's like, Oh, that's so late. And everyone's like, why aren't you not having dinner at six o'clock? I'm like, why would you eat dinner at six? That's so early. Um, but yeah, no, it is like, you don't realize it might seem trivial to you. This concept of just at talking about when dinner is happening, but it's not. And I think having that conversation opens it up to make sure that you have that open communication for the trivial things. So that way, when you get to the more difficult things, you're ready for it. And that is exactly. so great to be able to give people that tool to be able to do that. Those little things make a big difference, you know. Just like even what what are you feeding your child? Like I know in France, you would put your finger in a champagne glass and put it on the tongue of a baby. Mm. No way you can do that in Ireland. <laughs> and I was I was I was kind of a you're mad, you know. He's going to be an alcoholic. No, it's just 
developing test, but you develop it in a different way. But you have to know that it's done in the other country. Or when I was just having my children, my father brought flowers and champagne at the uh, maternity. And then the nurses were just like, oh, what's happening? You're not allowed to do that. Oh, man. But you do, <laughs> you do that over. But he was ready for that. So he kind of, <laughs> you know, and my father was kind of... I'm prepared. The champagne <laughs> is coming. <laughs> and my father was ready for that, too, because, you know, living at the border, blah, 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 all the story. Mm, um, true. He was ready that they were going to react. So he had glasses for them as well. So that was fine. <laughs> so prepared. Oh, that's so nice. That is excellent. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, you know, you have to be ready for those type of things. Otherwise, you know. I just kind of had a, a question, like how, what advice would you have for people who are trying to start this conversation? Because it's not easy, right? And like, I know that, you know, when it came to the decision making, when it came to me and my sister, decision making that I've heard from other parents living here in Edinburgh, like, it's not, it's, you know, there's disagreements are going to happen. So, you know, how do you... How do you encourage parents to sort of work with that or families to work with that? But you, yeah, it's just like you have to talk. You just talk about little things, you know, um, just like the way you dress, um, just like why do you, why do you dress that way? Uh, just very, very like trivial things, as you were saying earlier, just like there's no, there's no way. Or just like food. What, what do you eat for breakfast? And what do you eat that for breakfast? Why, why, why is porridge better than uh, than a croissant? I don't know. You know, uh, although I don't eat croissant every day. <laughs> if I could, I have, I'm allergic to croissants. But if I could, I would eat them every meal. <laughs> Honestly, I'm gonna be on team porridge here. Actually, <sighs> no. <laughs> and then, and then, just like little things, just like uh, talking about the grandparents, and just like those, and then you come to everything. You know, like like a marriage course. You know, it's just like I know, I know you're not good. You're going to get married anyway. You're going to have children. Add that to your marriage course. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, in some way, that kind of thing because uh, it's so important. Because I don't, I don't know whether everybody does a marriage course. I didn't anyway. So that's another story. It's honestly not that common, um, especially in the states. I don't think I know anyone who's like gotten kind of training no, before getting but- married. I've never heard of it before this conversation. So this is news to me. I know in some like more religious groups, like they'll do it, but theirs is different. Could, now, yeah. So. yeah, I I didn't do it. So that's, but just, I know people, some people are doing it just to get ready for, ma- for, for marriage and their life together to avoid trouble afterwards. So they, where they would be talking about what should they be talking about just to, to know that life is not going to be easy. And then also about education. Not just languages, education. You know, um, do you want to be liberal? Do you want to be strict? Are you going to let your children do what they want? Will you want them to do sports? Will you want them to to cook? Will you want the, those type of things? They are part of the everyday life. So languages should be part of the education you are going to give to your children. So before you get married, you talk about everything. Just add the word language in your conversation. Yeah, why not? Oh my god! Actually, I feel like this is actually very—I um, can't remember what the word—transferable to everyday life. I feel like we should all be getting these kinds of co- communication classes because that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to communication and listening and being patient with that. Because um, once you can have that conversation you, in one way, you can more easily have that conversations on other topics. So yeah, exactly. 
exactly. And just like, you know, I don't think you get married blind. You know, I, I suppose you, everybody looks at the type of person you're going to get married and said, do I want to be with that person all the rest of my life? Do I agree with him or her? Um, so, and would I like that person to be the father of, of my children the way I would like my children to be? You know, there's all these things. And and uh, if it's, and also the languages, uh, is he open to languages? Is he, is he or is she open to languages? Another way of acting and moving, you know? You know, there's all... Those things which have to be uh, to enter into the conversation, and that's why planting language is very good because the, the booklet we created was just like really to make people reflect on all those different topics, not just you know the language in the everyday life. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. Oh, thank you. I would love it if I could like you know people who I don't I mostly predominantly speak English now, which kind of bothers me, but that's because the people around me don't speak the same languages as me, and I would love it if I could start doing that and but it's just i have to start that conversation just being like hey do you want to talk to me in this language we can work on it together um because yeah that, that would be really nice yeah yeah just like and also just you know those those children being born in a, with different languages and culture at home they'd be open to more you know languages and more difference of culture and they will accept that you leave your shoes at the entrance of your house or you can walk with your shoes all over the house. Those little things, you know, this culture where you leave your shoes at the entrance and other cultures where you can walk all over the house with your shoes. I'm going to be very divisive and I'm going to say you take your shoes off before you go in the house. I don't. That's not, that's not divisive. That's correct. That's the correct way to do that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, but like, I come, I come from a country where people enter the house with their shoes and they walk all over the house with their shoes. That's so weird. <laughs> but yeah, no, my, my... Yeah, yeah, you're, you're saying it yourself. That's so weird. Why, why would it be yeah, weirder than something else? Exactly. Yeah. Like my, um, my partner's family, they do that. They wear their shoes in the house and like, I, I will take off my shoes the second I get into their house and then I see someone like in the kitchen with their sneakers on and I'm like, oh, and I know that's just normal for them. But at the same time, like I grew up so instinctively with shoes are off in the house i was like okay 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 um <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's just like but it's part of what you have to talk about because it's part it's part of the language which is part of the language linked to the no it's part of the culture linked to the language sorry exactly yeah and i have thankfully won that conversation in our house we are shoes off household <laughs> this, is, this is an interesting thing is because like a lot of this stuff is not necessarily exclusive to language like my partner and i we come from different cultures but we both are native English speakers, whatever connotations that may hold, right? Um, and the, the whole shoes off in the house is something that I've had to establish with him. Um, a lot of the food stuff is something that I've had to establish with him, right? And to, and to have these conversations that are, you know, that come from the differences in our linguistic repertoire, even though we're, we predominantly speak the same language. Like, even though I'm not fluent in Pangasinan or Tagalog or, you know, any of the, parent, the languages my parents speak, so much of that cultural influence from these languages and from their like homeland has been passed down to me and the way that I see things, you know? So, so a lot of like this, this conversation that we're having now, the conversations that you're having at multilingual cafe and with planting languages are not on, like, like Karine said earlier, they are transferable. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you grew up with the, the culture. Exactly. The, the, even if you didn't get the, all the languages, maybe only a few words here and there, mm -hmm. it's part of what to her. Yeah. Of who you are. Yeah. We got food words and swear words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, thank you. 
<laughs> I can ask you where the bathroom is. I got that for sure. I, which also my favorite, I think when I was learning Japanese was they're like, yeah, being able to ask where the bathroom is a great thing. But if you can't understand the instructions to get to the bathroom, not really that useful. <laughs> good point. Yes. Very good point. But yes, definitely can ask for food. Say thank you. Uh, can do that at least. Exactly. All right. Well, we've gone through mostly all of our questions. We have one last question. You do such amazing work, honestly, with planting oh, languages and multilingual cafe and everything. Because, yeah, as Marielle and I have been fawning over the fact that you actually you put the individual into the process of realizing how important their languages are. And you're all about open communication. We, we love that. And on top of that, you also put the individual in the context of the community that they are that, that they are, you know, fostering the language in which is so so important mm-hmm. it's extremely important unfortunately planting language does officially come to an end in december 2021 what future projects do you have lined up are you planning on continuing this is how what are, we, what are the steps now so we are ending in december we just like big events where everybody is, is uh allowed to come and welcome to come just to discover what we have been doing and just to discover the tools and touch them you know, so uh, we multilingual cafe having our having our event on the second and third of December. We'll do it in kind of an hybrid mode, so everybody is welcome to come. Uh, registration is still open, so be fine. I just need to you just need to register, and then Foyer is having a, a event their event in December the week after, so you can go there if you prefer. We can go to every event. <laughs> 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 and on the best, on the best, this is having them in January. So, you know, there's still, uh, to pre- there's still way of trying to present and to show the, uh, the, the event and, uh, Cyprus, which will have it next week. And the APLA had it already. So you missed it. <laughs> anyway, but then, uh, what will we do? We'll still be continuing consultations and training and everything. Uh, we'll still be using the booklet and present it to everybody for them to use it. And we have new project with a connection between the multilingual family and the school. So just like to be able to bridge them because there could be some trouble sometimes there. That is a really hard um, situation for many parents, yeah. So that's I'm very excited to hear that. That's a hard job. Yeah, and it's it's putting stress on the children when there's no need. You know, uh, can you imagine that still there's still the children in Europe who are punished because they don't speak at school the school language in the yard? God. But that's another story. We can talk about that another time because we'll it's... talk about it next year. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a, a long time. So, and then we are going to have two partnerships, so which is great, and uh, just to develop multilingualism to enter schools and everything, and multiculturalism. And we are going to launch a multilingual story writing competition for primary school teach children. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, my God. I <laughs> love that. I actually really wanted us to start doing that with Bilingualism Matters to have this children's story competition. And it never got off the ground. So that makes me so happy to hear that it's happening. Ah. So we launched we launch it at the, uh, during the, uh, the multiplayer event. So at our event in December, it's going to be launched then. So it's already so... So it'd be open to primary school children. Children, is it internationally or? Yes, because because Ooh. it's going to be with a partnership in the in the US, but not in Michigan and other states. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so exciting! Oh my god, I, wow. I I love the stories that kids write, and the fact that they get to do it in multiple languages is so great. Oh, that I'm really excited for that. So so just like we'll need people to read, 
just to kind of be a jury just to choose which one. Mm-hmm. And then the children would have their, their story published. Oh, that's perfect. I love it. Amazing. Oh my God. I'm going to keep my eye out for that. And then I'm going to start posting it all over Edinburgh. <laughs> that's my plan. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, so I said, because I thought we thought it was, it was very important just like for the children to be able to show who they are, the languages they speak and how they can speak it. Even if there's only two or three words in the, in the story or just like whatever, we are launching that, uh, that competition in, uh, in December. So in uh, two weeks time. Yeah. That's coming up really oh, wow. soon. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you, you have quite a lot on your plate coming up, which I mean yeah. is great. You're not slowing down. We, yeah. 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 There's a, and, uh, so many things, you know, so many things happening. So we'll have to keep in touch. <laughs> yes, please. I would love to hear everything that's going on. And please send us the links for everything so we can post it to the website. And also, I'll tell you, uh, Multilingual Cafe is going to change name as well. So, Ooh, gossip. Gossip, yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you announce the name now or? I can, I can. Just like we're going to be called Association pour la promotion et l'avancement du multilinguisme. Because it's in French, of course. Yes, oh, I love that. Gotta love being the association for the promotion of languages. Uh, promotion and advancement of multilingualism. Ooh, sorry, I missed that one. Nice. Sorry, uh, I got that. Uh, association pour la promotion et l'avancement du multilinguisme. A-P-A-M. A-P-A-M. APAM. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's cute. Um, it kind of almost sounds like um, like an apple, like a palm. <laughs> I like that. That's really cute. So it, it, it looks a bit more professional, less than a cafe, but uh, because uh, we're, that's what we were doing mostly, you know. We're still meeting people. We'll still keep the name Multilingual Cafe because we'll still meet families around the coffee in the coffee shop. Uh, and we'll still have the blog on Multilingual Cafe, but uh, the, uh, the association is changing names, so... That's so exciting. I'm Congratulations. Yeah, I'm really excited for you. And the new logo will be shown in December. You have to wait for that one. Oh, okay. I cannot well, show it on the podcast anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm very excited to see that. Wow. Isabel, thank you so much for joining us and for yeah, talking about the projects you're working on. Now, this has been so great, honestly, and I'm very excited. I don't even have children <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, so- I'll send you a booklet anyway. So you can Oh my start. god, yes, please. I will like literally like post it to the windows around my office being like, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, thing, the thing is just like talk talk about it with everybody. Tell, mm-hmm. tell everybody that you have having more than one language at home and just don't care whether they agree with you or not. You are doing it. That's your family, that's your children, that's your choice. They're not going to tell you you should wear a red dress rather than a blue. They're going to no. let you wear the red dress. <laughs> <laughs> my dad would tell me yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, you, but you, yeah. you know what i'm saying i see i know what you mean yeah, yeah. but thank yeah, you again know. so much for joining us this has yeah, been so great welcome. you are thank more you. than welcome to everyone listening, if you want to learn more about Isabel, if you want to learn more about the Multilingual Cafe, if you want to learn more about Planting Languages and all the exciting and fun projects she has coming up, including the Children's Multilingual Stories Project, the links will be in the our webpage. You can find them all in the description and um, you'll find everything there. If you have any questions, you'll be able to find contact information from their websites as well. Um, so please do get in touch if you have more questions. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, guys, stay safe, stay healthy. And Totsins. Matane. See you later.
À bientôt. Au revoir. Merci.